just prepare our hearts for the Word of God this morning and uh, turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 5. Uh, this is uh, part 7, I believe, of this uh, little study in the book of James. We're not going through it verse by verse, but we are dipping into it here and there, as we said at the beginning. And uh, we are back again uh, in chapter 5. I just want to read a few verses together, reading from verse 7. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Amen. Let's just stop there. Now, although the book of James is not uh, as neatly structured as uh, many other books in the New Testament, yet if you read it carefully and if you read it through all five chapters, you'll see that there is indeed a recurring theme. And that recurring theme is simply this, that you as a believer, that your faith will be tested. Your faith will be tested. And we discovered in the first chapter that tests and trials come our way. Uh, that we are tested by various things uh, that emanate from the outside. And then we're tempted, tried in that sense, by things from the inside. And sometimes these tests come through the efforts of others from the outside but sometimes these tests or these temptations, uh, they arise up simply because of our own wrong desires. However they come, tests, temptations, trials, James wants us to draw on God's strength to overcome the tests from the outside and to overcome the temptations from the inside. Now James, again, I remind you, is writing to uh, these Jewish Christians who were scattered abroad and they were under severe pressure, persecutions, uh, difficulties they were going through, uh, really, really uh, being persecuted, we saw last week, and, and taken advantage of uh, by rich people who were using and abusing them. And so here in verse 7 to 11 of James 5, James encourages us to be patient in times of testing. What he's writing to them, the Holy Spirit is saying to us, to be patient in times of testing. In verse 7, he starts, he says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Now, all the New Testament writers were very, very aware and very, very sensitive uh, of the coming of the Lord, they really, really believed and felt that they themselves were living just before 
Christ's return, that he was coming very, very soon. Now, as I said before, if they believed that then, how much closer is his coming now for us? If they were sensitive and they were living their lives in the light of what they felt was a soon return, how much more should we live our lives in the light of the fact that now he is just about to come? The coming of the Lord is a massive subject in the New Testament. It's writ large. Did you know that one in every 25 verses in the New Testament refers to the second coming of Christ? Did you know that it's mentioned over 700 times, either by proclamation or by promise or by prophecy? In Paul's writing alone, there are more than 50 references to Christ's soon return. It's said that there are eight times more verses relating to Christ's second coming than to his first coming. About 50 times in the New Testament, we are urged to be ready for his second coming. Jesus himself often spoke of his return. In fact, the very last words, last recorded words of Jesus in Revelation 22 and 20, he said, surely I come quickly. And so James is writing in the light of the Lord's return. Therefore, we should be thinking and living our lives in the light of the Lord's soon return. Peter agrees. Uh, Peter said in 1 Peter 1.7 that the trial of your faith, being much more precious of go- than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And James said so, therefore be patient, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. The very angels said so. You men of Galilee, why stand you there gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which was taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And then Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Thessalonians uh, were very concerned. Uh, They were concerned as Christians about those other Christians who had died, who had fallen asleep in Christ. What was going to happen to them if the Lord returns? So Paul writes here in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that, that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Note this. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The coming of the Lord to the early church was something that was a great comfort. To, uh, but particularly those sections of the church who were really going through difficult times, who were under severe persecution, They long for the return of the Lord. So they did. And so James is saying that we need to be patient. What's so important about the Lord coming back? 
Well, when Jesus comes, all wrongs will be righted. All injustices will be judged. It doesn't always work out in this life. Sure it doesn't. There's lots of injustice, inequality, lots of things that are in this life are not put right. But when Christ comes, all accounts will be paid. All the books will be closed. Only eternity will reveal this. And so he says, be encouraged. Christ is coming. Now, whenever we begin to think in the light of Christ coming, it ought to change how we live our lives. It ought to change our lifestyle. I feel that many, many Christians, if not most Christians, do not live their lives with any thought of Christ's return, His soon return. It's as if we're going to live forever. And if He comes, He comes. And if He doesn't, He doesn't. But that's not the attitude of the New Testament Christians. They watched and they waited and they longed for His return. Peter said, 1 Peter 4, 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, because the end of all things is at hand, therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. 1 John 3 Verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, again speaking of His soon return, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. And so this is something to do with how we live our lives. Then 2 Peter 3.14 Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, his second coming, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And that's just a few scriptures to show you that in the light of Christ's second coming, that there ought to be changes even in how we live our daily lives. But we need to be thinking about it. We need to understand that He is coming soon. If you read any prophetic scriptures and you watch your television news or read your daily paper, it's plastered with it. It's screaming at us that Christ is soon coming. That's what the reports are saying. Not in that language, of course, but that's what we can see. And so, James, in those few short verses we read, he urges, be patient. Five times in that short passage we just read, he mentions patience or perseverance. And he says, establish your hearts. Keep your hearts right. Establish your heart. Stabilize your heart. Don't let your heart be all over the place. Be single-minded. Establish your hearts. Get ready for the return of the Lord. And then in order to drive home the point, he gives us three illustrations of patience. He talks about a patient farmer. Then he talks about patient prophets. And then he talks about a patient patriarch. So let's look at these three things. Verse 7, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives 
the early and the latter rain. <coughs> Excuse me. Farmers need enormous amounts of patience, do they not? They're always watching the weather. They're always watching the weather. They're waiting for the right moment to plow and to sow their fields. They're waiting for the right moment to gather in the harvest. Uh, this present moment uh, in our own country, there's great concern about our harvests, particularly the potato harvest. Spuds are rotting in the fields. It's such a wet uh, uh, spring and summer. Uh, and and talking to a farmer recently, and he said that, the, I mean, the ears and, and, the, and the corn and the wheat, there's hardly anything in it. It's awful. It's just a, a, a bit of a disaster, actually. And, and so the farmer needs lots of patience. Now, in Palestine, the farmer plowed and he sowed out his crops in, in late October, early November, about this time of the year, actually, whenever we're doing this study. And, and after he had done that, uh, then that's when the early rains came to water the seeds that had just been sown. But then he had to wait all through the rest of the autumn, all through the winter, uh, and then he had to wait to late April, early May, and about that time, uh, whenever the ears uh, and the corn were beginning to fill out, because that's when the latter rains would come. And of course, when the latter rains would come, then that would give a great growth spurt to the harvest just before the harvest was gathered in. But it's that bit in between. It's that long winter months when you had to be very, very, very patient and you couldn't force anything to grow. Now there's a lot of stuff forced to grow today. I mean, I, I like grapes on a muesli. Uh, not that you're caring about that, but I'm just telling you that for a reason. And uh, Sally gets them out of Sainsbury's or Tesco River, and sometimes they're wonderful and they're juicy and they're tasteful. She got a packet the other week, and I said, you know, there's not even a taste of those. I mean, you just might as well be eating that in a rubber. They're just rubbish. There's no taste. Why? Because they've been forced grown. They've been pushed and forced, not given really time to... To, to get all those lovely juices and to get all of that lovely flavor, it just wasn't even there. So you knew they were being forced. But of course, a farmer can't do that and couldn't do that in those days. He couldn't force anything. He just had to have lots of patience and wait and wait and wait. Even farmers today got to be patient. They got to wait to what they sowed then until it comes into harvest. Of course, they had to wait till the sun and the rain and the heat did its miraculous work for a harvest to come forth. Zechariah 10 and 1, Ask you of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So shall the Lord make bright clouds and give them showers of rain and to everyone grass in his field. Adam Clark said these words, The seed of your deliverance is already sown, and by and by the harvest of your salvation will take place. Isn't that good? The seed of your deliverance is already sown, and by and by the harvest of your salvation will take place. God's counsels will ripen in due time. And so, in your difficulty, in your trial period, in that times when things are difficult, that's when we need the patience for God's counsels to ripen. That's when we need the patience. The seeds of your deliverance has already been sown, but it's going to take a while before the harvest 
comes before the deliverance comes. That's what that's saying. And so James very obviously points out a farmer being an agricultural nation. They would know exactly what that meant and they could relate to that illustration. Then he said in verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, grumbling here doesn't mean that you can't disagree or that you can't have nothing to say or that you cannot make a point that may be the opposite to somebody else's point. It's not talking about that. It's talking about grumbling and groaning and griping for the sake of it. And some people are just all garns, as we say, aren't they? Always garning about something. And James says, don't do it. Especially about each other. He says, don't do it. Now we tend to grumble when we lose patience. Don't we? Don't we? Right, okay. I thought maybe I was the only one. We tend to grumble whenever we lose patience. And James's readers were in danger of losing patience with God himself. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews was saying something similar. Whenever they were going through similar things, and they were Jewish Christians, and they were being persecuted, they were facing tough times. And he said that some, because of it, had even stopped coming to church, forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, he said. And James sees a danger here. Things were tough for these people. Answers were slow in coming. Trials were plenty. Did God care? Where is God in the midst of it all? Have you ever felt that? And whenever we begin to lose patience because the answer hasn't come quick enough and we prayed and prayed and prayed and there's still no breakthrough, there's a danger that you lose even patience with God. And you begin to say, God, where are you? Why is this happening? I thought I prayed the answer would come immediately, and it hasn't. And it's six months now, and it hasn't come. And so we begin to lose patience, and we lose our focus. Circumstances of life blot out God's goodness, and we forget all those other times when God delivered us and came through for us and blessed us and prospered us and met our need. Just because it seems slow in coming this time that we forget about all the other times. But God is never late. He's never late. He's always on time. It just seems late to us. But it tests us. It tries us. Particularly our patience. Many a one has turned their back on God when the answer was delayed. So James urges patience. Patience, he says. And then we lose patience with God. Often then we lose patience with ourselves. Uh, and we begin to feel, where is my faith? Why can't I believe? Why am I caving in under this? Where's my strength in all of this? You know, I'm useless. I'm a failure. I'm hopeless. You know, I'm just an excuse for a Christian. And then we just heap all that on ourselves because we lost patience with ourselves. And if we lose patience with God and we lose patience with ourselves, chances are we'll lose patience with others. 
and we start to grumble and we complain and we groan. And often it's just revealing our own heart, our own selves. And so James is concerned about these Christians. He's concerned about what they're going through and what they're feeling and the tendency of human nature to lose patience with God, with ourselves, and with others. And it doesn't make for a very happy life, sure it doesn't. It really doesn't. Now James uses words for patience here, which means both long-suffering and endurance. And some commentators say that long-suffering is in relationship to having patience under difficult circumstances, and endurance is in relation to having patience with difficult people. Two things in life will get to is circumstances and people. Isn't that the truth? And we've got to deal with people, we've got to deal with circumstances every single day of our lives. So no wonder James is urging patience. And then secondly, he talks here about patient prophets. Verse 10 to 11. My brethren, take the prophets who in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience, sorry, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Now, James's audience would be very familiar with the prophets. The prophets would have been their heroes. They would have looked back, fondly remembering their exploits. But they would also know and remember what happened to the prophets. Elijah was despised and hated by the kings of Israel. He was such a thorn in their flesh. Uh, they tried to kill him at times. Jeremiah was thrown into a well and left to rot there. If it hadn't been for a, a eunuch who favored him, he probably would have been left there. That was the intention. And Amos, the prophet, he was accused by Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. He was accused of making a conspiracy against Jeroboam, the king. Uh, and, and you can read that in Amos 7. And, and they told him, go back to your own country and prophesy there. We don't want you here. And often that was what happened to prophets. Whatever they spoke, we don't want to hear it. Get out. Go away. Give our heads peace. You're not prophesying what we want to hear. And so it wasn't easy being a prophet. Had to have lots of patience. Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Jesus said, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted the prophets which were before you. <laughs> Jesus said, you're in good company. If for his sake, people are giving you a rough time at work. If for his sake, your employer is making life difficult for you. If it's for his sake, not because we're just obnoxious or we're lazy workers or whatever the case I remember one time, the, the, the builders who built our home in Moira, two Christian brothers, and, and got into conversation one day, and I just happened to ask them, I said, do you, do you have any Christian workers? He says, very few. I says, why is that? He says, I got rid of most of them. 
I says, why is that? He says, all they wanted to talk about was church all day. He says, it didn't want to work. He says, they just talked about church. And he says, I'm paying them to build a house. But he says, that they just were lazy. So he says, I had to employ people, non-Christians. He says, they just wanted to work. <laughs> Simple. <laughs> they didn't have a very good example to their employer. Sure they didn't. So that can work both ways, can't it? Now, prophets, you see, were... Their ministry generally was twofold. They were forth tellers and they were foretellers. They were forth tellers. And so they would have to go to the kings, for instance, and they would rebuke kings in God's name. That took a lot of courage to do that. That didn't make you very popular. <laughs> kings wanted to take your head off for that. But they were forth tellers. And they would speak into the nation. And they would speak to the kings. And they would talk about what's gone wrong with the nation. And they would speak it loudly and clearly to the whole nation. Because they were foretellers. But then there were also foretellers. And they would prophesy about individuals and about nations. And the trouble was, having prophesied in the name of the Lord, having being a foreteller and a foreteller in the name of the Lord. Sometimes it just didn't happen right away. It might have been days before their word came true. It might have been weeks or months or years. Sometimes it was generations. Sometimes it was hundreds of years before that word came true. And so as well as having faith, they needed lots of patience. Because <laughs> people were wondering, is what they said true? Hasn't happened yet. Are they genuine? And so it took a lot of patience to be a prophet. Every time they spoke in the name of the Lord, their integrity, their ministry, their very lives was on the line. Therefore, they needed much patience and endurance. Now, Hebrews 11 Verse 32. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheep's and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith and did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us, who did not receive the promise. Hmm required immense patience to speak for God and to declare the times that we're living in and challenge kings 
and prophesy events that maybe wouldn't happen in their lifetime. But they did it by faith and they had much patience. So he says, think about the prophets. Think of their patience, their perseverance. And then a patient patriarch, verse 11. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. You've heard of the perseverance of Job. Now, we, we, we use terms like, <laughs> he had the patience of Job, or you would need the patience of Job. Uh, and what we're thinking is patience in that sense that we always think of patience. But actually, if you read the story of Job, you'll find out that sometimes he was very short in patience, as we know patience. Particularly with those so-called comforters, his dear friends who came along and blamed all of his ills on himself. And there was times he was very outspoken with them. And you can sense when you read it, he ran out of patience and could have throttled them. <laughs> but listen, here's a man in one day lost all of his sons and daughters, all of them killed in one day. Here's a man who lost all of his livestock, all of his fortune in one day. Here was a man whose wife came to him in the midst of all of that and said, curse God and die. Here was a man who took seriously ill in the midst of all this, who was covered in boils from head to toe and was tormented and was scraping himself with broken pottery. In the midst of all of that, these so-called friends come along, sit down one by one by one, and they blame him for the whole thing. They said, you've got hidden sin. You're a hypocrite. You declare your righteousness, you've got sin in your life. God's judging you. And being just a man, there was times he wasn't very patient, as we know patience. But he persevered. In spite of his loss, in spite of his wife telling him to curse God and die and turn against him, in spite of losing all of his fortune, <laughs> in spite of his friends blaming him, in spite of all of that, he persevered. Against all those odds, he persevered. He kept going. This is why James uses the word perseverance here or endurance, which is different than patience in verse 10 to describe Job's attitude. So in spite of all of that, he still persevered. And he still went through with God. And he didn't turn his back on the Lord. And you see, this is why James is telling, reminding them of the patriarch Job. He said, look back, remember what happened to him. But remember the Lord's intended end. And in the end, God restored his family, restored his fortune, restored his health. <laughs> and it became a great example for us how to persevere in the difficult times.
Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Easier to see that in hindsight. But it's there so that we can see it in foresight. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the end intended by the Lord. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Isn't that lovely? The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. The Lord has much compassion on his children. Jesus, the Bible says, was moved with compassion. All the acts that Christ did was out of a heart that was moved with compassion. He saw the people, the sheep without a shepherd, and he was moved with compassion towards them. To minister to them, to bless them, to heal them, to deliver them, to do whatever they need. He was moved with compassion that was in his heart. And the Lord is compassionate towards his children. The Lord is merciful in spite of all of her faults and all of her feelings and all of us has them. And you don't need to point them out to us. I know what they are. I know my own and you know your own. But in spite of all her faults and all of her feelings, thank God the Lord is merciful, isn't he? His mercy triumphs over judgment. Aren't you glad for that? If the Lord just judged, if the Lord just gave us justice, where would we be today? We'd be in hell. <laughs> but he gives us mercy. Thank God for his mercy. Patience and endurance is not something that we're normally, naturally good at. It's something that we have to develop by God's grace and God's help. We have many examples in Scripture to encourage us on our journey. There's just three of them today. And you can think of many, many more. And sometimes you actually have to sit down and read those to remind yourself if you're in a tough time that God is still with you and that you stop grumbling against God and then against yourself and then against others. And just be patient and allow the Lord to have his perfect will in your life. Now, if there's something we can put right, we put it right. Not saying ignore the wrong. But we allow God to have his perfect will in our lives. And sometimes it just is faith and trust, isn't it? We can't see it. We don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know what way it's going to work. But we just believe him. We just trust in him. And we say, Lord, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait till your will is done. You know the end from the beginning. You know there's nothing surprises you. There's nothing ever is going to happen to me that you don't know about beforehand. You know, that's a great comfort. It's great confidence that gives you. No matter what comes your way, Lord, you knew about it. And if you're allowing me to go through it, you're going to bring me through it. And I'll build something into my life on the journey. And Lord, I'll be able to glorify you at the end of it. And you have that attitude. Faith and patience will bring you through. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we're glad today that the steps of a good man or a good woman are ordered by the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your leading, for your direction, for your guidance. 
your protection, your comfort, your compassion. Lord, we thank you that you surround us with mercy and grace. So we bless you for all of these things. Lord, help us to be patient. Lord, our old nature would just want us, Lord, Lord, just not to do the right thing or to do the wrong thing or to get ahead of you, Lord, or lag behind. But help us, Lord, be patient. Just keep up with you. Just keep in your plan, whatever your plan may be. Sometimes we know it, sometimes we don't. But, Lord, we know you and we trust you. And your will for us is good. And it is to give us a hope in the future. And so we bless you for that. So, Lord, I give you thanks for your saints today. Thank you for every believer in this house. Thank you for every man and woman that has put their trust in you. And, Lord, I just pray that as that trust grows and that faith grows, that that patience will grow also. And, Lord, we'll see the end intended by the Lord. Hallelujah. And, Lord, we know it's going to be good. So we give you thanks today. In Jesus' name.